go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Welcome to our radio program called Go Rebuild My Church. My name is Peter Doan, and along with my wife Leslie, we're excited to be with you today as we explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus, Go Rebuild My Church, and how this theme is relevant to the church today. Leslie and I have recently launched a lay apostolate called Encounter Jesus Discipleship Ministries, and you can learn more about us and our passion for renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website, www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. That's www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 11 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild. At that time, we joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church, and hopefully now, through the ministry of this radio program, we can provide pathways for you as individuals as well as parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal with us. And again, we're really excited to be with you each week as we kind of unpack this whole idea of rebuilding the church. Last week, we talked about how the telling of our story models Jesus' approach when he spoke in parables. We also heard the powerful story of Xiao Wei Zhu, raised as an atheist in communist China, and how the Lord radically changed her life. In the scriptures, we've been using 1 Peter 3.15 kind of as our go-to verse that says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is within you. We want to carry on this theme today as we look at calling from the Lord Jesus to become seed sowers of the gospel. Like Peter said in this series, he's been sharing with us how to be prepared. And I love that scripture, Peter, and it really challenges me to be prepared. These broadcasts have been helping us to better recognize that open door those times when the Holy Spirit signals us to share our conversion story. And our hope is that through these broadcasts, you'll be motivated and it's going to help equip us to prepare our conversion stories and share them. Yes. And by the way, three weeks ago, we did a little thing on how to prepare your conversion story. And if you missed that, uh, please go back and listen to the podcast as it lays out a simple way to prepare your conversion story. In today's show, we want to collate and put together everything that we've shared in our previous four broadcasts. Those previous discussions led us to Jesus calling each of us to rebuild his church. We join the Lord in this rebuilding process, we believe, as the Catholic faithful, we boldly begin to share our faith with others. Jesus refers to this as sowing seed. I think it's fair to say, Peter, that many of us are familiar with the scripture in Mark, where Jesus teaches us about sowing seeds. However, I think it would be good for us to take some time now and really think about how it relates to us today and how we can join in that process of sowing seeds. So could you take some time now to walk us through the scriptures about sowing seeds? 
Yes, I always, uh, when we read uh, the scripture on these broadcasts, I, I want to encourage you just to relax and let the word of God penetrate you. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says when the word of God goes out, it doesn't return void. And if you sometimes just even listen to the scripture, it'll really minister to you and speak to you um, as you uh, listen to it. So the parable of the sower and the seed is in all synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I like, I'm going to use Mark today. Mark is, as always, very descriptive and uses descriptive words to describe his, um, his message. Jesus set, uh, got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. This is Mark 4, chapter 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. And he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. I really like that. He says, listen up to this one. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had not much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and it brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now at this point, Jesus takes the disciples aside, and he explains to them the scriptures. And listen for something interesting that Jesus says about this parable in verse 10 of chapter 4. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed not perceive and may not hear and under, but understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus is marking out something about this parable. He's, he's stopping and saying, this parable, if you understand it, then you can understand all parables. So there's something really to drill down in here. He goes on to say, the sower sows the word. So here you see the seed is the word. He equates the seed sowing with sowing the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word again is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these in like manner are the ones sown on rocky ground, who when they hear the word, there's word again, immediately receive it with joy, and they have, but they have no root in themselves, and they endure it only for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, who they hear the word, but the cares of the world, delight in riches, and desire in other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. I think what I hear the scripture saying is that we need to understand that the seed is God's word. But how is that relevant for us today? How do we use the seed as God, God's word in this sowing seed process that you're talking about? So this is so important, right? God's seed is uh, 
encapsulated by a personal story of how Jesus has changed my life, answered a prayer, intervened in human history at large, or brought eternal life to humanity. Within that seed becomes an invitation. The invitation sometimes is implied. Other times it's clearly stated that Jesus is reaching out to the person that you're speaking with. When the seed is sown, it can include your experience, trials, difficulties, even a miracle, but it encapsulates around the Word of God. Can you give us some more examples besides the parable of where seed was sown in the scriptures? So, uh, yeah, I'm excited that you're asking about that, Leslie, because we're going to look at a portion of scripture, maybe uh, uh, our listening audience hasn't uh, considered before, where we have a wonderful story where seed is sown with dramatic results. So we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we are going to look at this exciting story of St. Stephen and the wonderful, powerful thing that he does in the Acts of the Apostles. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us through the break. We've been exploring with Peter the parable of the sower and the seed and learning how this is relevant for us today and also how we can become sowers of the seed. Stephen now is an example of someone who, who was used by God in a powerful way to sow seeds. Peter, talk to us a little bit about the lessons we can learn from this dramatic account of St. Stephen's martyrdom. So St. Stephen, as uh, many of us know, is, is the first martyr of the church. In fact, we celebrate his feast day, interestingly enough, the day after Christmas, December 26th. That's a reminder that we balance the joy of the uh, calling to Jesus Christ, but also there's, con there's, there's um, what would you say, there's suffering and there's challenges that go along with responding to the Christmas message. In the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, we see, first of all, that the church chose seven deacons and to serve the, help serve the table so the apostles could stay with prayer and the ministry of the word. And St. Stephen is pointed out as one of the seven, and it says about Stephen that he was full of faith. He was a good man that was full of faith. It goes on in chapter 6, um, uh, chapter 6 to say that Stephen began to minister uh, in the streets, so to speak, and it says that he was full of grace and power, and great wonders and signs were done among the people. So all of a sudden he's out, and God is using him for miracles, signs, and wonders. And he began to preach, but his preaching began to um, stir up the, the Jewish council in Jerusalem, and he was arrested. And as he was arrested, the scripture says at the end of chapter 6 
that as they looked upon him, they gazed at him, and the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Isn't that interesting? He was so filled with joy that even to the unbelieving council, they considered he looked like an angel. Then we get into chapter 7, which is 50 uh, plus verses that Stephen shares with us salvation history. And he goes through all of this, and it's, boy, Stephen knew the scriptures backwards and forwards because he gave a wonderful oration about the history of the Jewish faith, the key segments of it, and then he takes us on a story journey that leads up to him talking about Jesus Christ, and then he turns it on the council and says to them, he says that you are stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of heart, and they always resist the Holy Spirit. So he puts the council in the line of people throughout salvation history who have, re, who have resisted God's purpose. So at the end of that, they are all stirred up at the end of chapter 7, and it says that they even were grinding their teeth. Can you imagine that? They were, they were so stirred up at Stephen, they were grinding their teeth, and then, again, they, they looked at uh, Stephen, and uh, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and it says that he looked up into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing, not sitting, but standing at the right hand of the Father. At that point, when he said that, they cried out with loud violence, and the Scripture says that they stoned him. And here's something I want to get your attention to. In verse 58 of Acts chapter 7, it said that the witnesses laid down their garment at the feet of a young man named Saul. Have you heard of him before? That's Saul of Tarsus, who was at this stoning, who had just listened to this wonderful presentation of salvation history. And it said that Stephen forgave them just like Jesus did on the cross. He cried out, Lord, receive my spirit. And uh, it says that he fell asleep. And then one last verse in chapter 8 begins with, and Saul was consenting to his death. So here, here we see some things, and let's think about Saul. Let's put ourselves in Saul's shoes as he's there introduced to us for the first time in sacred scripture. Um, Paul got a singular introduction to the true religion of Jesus Christ. Many have been brought to God by means very similar by listening to powerful stories like this. The young man whose name was Saul had met with the religion of Jesus Christ in the person of St. Stephen, and thus he saw it with the following surroundings. First of all, remember Stephen's face was shining. So Paul saw joy. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm deriving uh, my own thoughts on this, but I'm saying that he saw a joy in Stephen. Secondly, he heard a powerful discourse uh, presented by Stephen. Thirdly, he saw a triumphant death. Stephen didn't die um, kind of trying to hold on to life, but Stephen exalted that he was about ready to um, be received by Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was introduced to the Apostle Paul in seed form for the first time at the death of Stephen. 
if we look at Paul's timeline, um, scholars tell us, historians tell us, that Saul was present at St. Stephen's Stoning in 32 A.D. From 33 to 34 A.D., Saul, be, Saul, he was still Saul at that time, wasn't he? He began to persecute the church. And it's really interesting, the scripture in Acts says that he ravaged the church. And I looked up the word for ravage, and it's the Greek word limeno. And that word was only used once in the New Testament. And it was used in classical Greek literature for wild beasts that would ravage crops. Isn't that interesting that the Holy Spirit chose that word? And then in 34 AD, two years later, St. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. This is all very interesting, Peter. I've never seen this uh, connection between Saul and seed sowing before in the scriptures. The timeline that you just shared actually does make it clear to us that the seeds that Stephen sowed ultimately contributed to his conversion. And that was a progression over time. It didn't happen all at once. So with that in mind, what can we conclude from this account in Scripture? So again, going back to the idea of sowing seeds, the symbols of seeds show us that conversion is primarily a process that happens over time. If we get one thing across today, we want to say that salvation or seed sowing is a process that ha happens over time. Conversion is not a slam dunk experience. Uh, one, one verse that just followed what I read earlier, a short verse in Mark, is another parable that brings this out. Listen to what the scripture says in Mark 4, same chapter, but verse 26. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is if a man would scatter seed upon the ground and should keep, should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he knows not how. Isn't that interesting? That the seed grows. We're not sure how the seed grows. We're not sure how the seed grew in Saul, are we? But it mysteriously is a combination of circumstances, the Holy Spirit, etc., that makes that seed grow. The earth produces it of itself, Jesus said in this parable, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of corn. So again, we see process, don't we? Yes, and I think that's very encouraging because sometimes when we share our conversion story, we don't see anything immediately happen, and we have a tendency to get discouraged thinking that whatever we have said about the Lord has just fallen on deaf ears. But that's not always the case, is it, Peter? No, and it reminds me of back in my college days. I had uh, backslidden from my Catholic faith, and I was in college. I was a junior in college, and one of my good friends had a conversion experience. He came back to school and started talking about what Jesus Christ had done for him. And he talked about, he, I met him in the student union, and he was talking to me, and he said, you know something, Peter? Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth someday. In all of my Catholic upbringing, I couldn't quite remember that that was ever a focus or I'd ever even thought about that. So I went back to my house that night. I was talking to my good friend Mike, and I was saying, you know, Joseph... Uh, was, is, uh, has had a Jesus experience, and he's back on campus. But he said something really interesting, that Jesus is going to return to the earth, and that really got my attention. That was, he planted a seed, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and take a break now. And when we come back, please stay with us because we're going to talk more about the importance of conversion and ongoing conversion among the Catholic faithful for the purpose of renewal and rebuilding the church. You know us as Catholic Radio Indy, but we're so much more than just radio. We're a voice for the church that's seldom heard in our chaotic world. We're confirmation for the strong of faith and encouragement and answers for those in doubt. We're there to rejoice with your triumphs and to be a voice of consolation through the dark times. We're a voice for vocations and proudly pro-life. We are Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. In our inaugural broadcast, we went through some sobering statistics of what is happening with the Catholic Church in crisis. These stats led us to the reality of the call to rebuild my church. In 2012, Pope Benedict XVI called a synod on the new evangelization. He emphasized the call for all, with an emphasis on all, of today's Catholics to continue the work of the first disciples. Remember, Stephen? In bringing the gospel to the world by sharing our faith, i.e. sowing seeds like we're talking about today, with others in three distinct ways, through renewed conviction, determination, and I like this word, enthusiasm. This is such a daunting task to me when I think about it, and I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of the Synod. So talk to us a little bit about the Synod, Peter. Did it give us a map or a a blueprint and how we can accomplish this task? Well, amazingly, it became very practical. The Synod had specific marching orders. Think of a target with its concentric circles, and you use it, say, your, your crossbow, your practicing with a, with a target. There's a bullseye, and then there's outer circles. The Synod pointed out that there are three people groups in the target area that we as Catholics must sow the seeds of the kingdom to. The first group are, interestingly enough, faithful Catholics, the man and woman in the pew. Pope Benedict referred to this process as re-evangelization. In fact, when Benedict had his ad limina with residential bishops in 2013 after the synod, he spoke to them about the need for re-evangelization among Catholics. In fact, he told the bishops, get this, that they too needed to be personally re-evangelized. That's pretty amazing. So Peter, you said the target or the synod targeted three specific groups, the first being faithful church-going Catholics. So talk to us about the other groups that were called to target. So yes, right. After that group, uh, referred to as faithful Catholics, the synod designated the second group as non-practicing Catholics, sometimes referred to as ex-Catholics, although that's debatable theologically if there is such a thing as an ex-Catholic. Pew Research tells us that the number uh, is staggering. 30 million people in the United States alone are considered ex-Catholics. If that group were an entity, it would be the second largest church body in America. The third and final group the Synod identified and targeted is called Agentes, which is our mission to the unsaved. That really makes me think right now about what Jesus said in Matthew 9, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. How do you see the church going forward with all of this in mind? How do we practically approach this need for conversion to take place on such a wide scale with three distinct groups? So 
this becomes very practical. You know, the, the synod was practical, and I think that you, the answer to your question is practical, Leslie. First, I believe every local parish, you hear that? Every local parish needs to develop an evangelization team. And that team needs to be discipled in the things we're talking about these last five weeks. The crisis in the church, how to develop your conversion story, the open doors of divine appointments, human predicaments, and the power of one, and the power that's released when you tell your conversion story. And then finally, what we're talking about today, that sharing your faith is a seed-sowing process. And let me emphasize this, that the team does not do the evangelizing for the church. The team is there to train the whole parish to evangelize. I think you forgot one thing, Peter. This brings us all to our knees, doesn't it? Because in Matthew, once again, Jesus said, pray. Therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We can begin there with prayer, right? Absolutely. And if we don't begin there, then it's just, it's, it's just, uh, it's uh, uh, exercise without the Holy Spirit. Um, let me end with a story that famously illustrates what we've been trying to communicate in today's program. We, may, we are all aware of, or many of us are aware of, the relationship between J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. It's very historical. They were yeah, literary I'm, partners, mm -hmm. etc. I'm aware of that. Um, most of us are not aware of Tolkien, that he was a strong, strong, devoted Catholic, and how he became instrumental in Lewis's conversion. In the 1920s, C.S. Lewis writes that he was a complete atheist. Nine years later, in 1929, Lewis took his first major step toward God. He wrote, In the Trinity term, I gave in and admitted that God was God, and I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert sorry, in all of England. I did not then see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore the love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction? In 1931, two years later, Lewis became a Christian, and it preceded this, by this. One evening in September, Lewis had a long talk on Christianity with Tolkien. That evening's discussion was important in bringing about the following day's event that Lewis recorded in Surprise by Joy. When he, in, in Lewis says this, When we, Warney and Jack, that is, is his brother and himself, set out by motorcycle to go to the Whipsnade Zoo, I did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Tolkien ended up watering the seeds that were in Lewis, and that next day, Lewis surrendered to Jesus Christ. Today, we've looked at significant process that Jesus introduces us to, the sowing of seeds of the kingdom. Hopefully, each of us is developing a desire both for our own ongoing conversion and the conversion or reconversion of others. Please join us next week for an exciting and informative program on how focusing on conversion is the first step to rebuild and renew the Catholic Church in America. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www. 
www.catholicradioindy.org. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 103.7.